years ago, after basic training, it was time to go to war. And this soldier trusted his platoon sergeant leader and with his life. They go to war and they're getting off the transport. The sergeant is handing out weapons. And this man is the last one in line. And when he gets to the sergeant, the sergeant has no more weapons. And they're near the battlefield and he doesn't know what to do. And his sergeant runs and grabs a broom handle and hands it to him. Says, this is your weapon. What do I do with it? He said, it's just like a gun. All you have to do is go bangity, 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 bang, and it'll work. He'd spent months and months with his platoon leader and trusted him implicitly. And he said, okay. And he noticed all the other soldiers had bayonets for close quarter. And he said, what about a bayonet? And so the sergeant got a piece of straw and tied it and taped it to the end of the broom and said, if they get that close, go stabity, 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 stab. It'll work. He trusted his sergeant. So they get to the battle. There he is with his broom. And he sees the enemy in the distance. And he bangity, 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 bangity. It worked. <coughs> bangity, 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 bangity. It worked some more. <coughs> During the entire battle, he was so impressed. Until a man was coming at him. Bangity, bangity, bangity. The man kept coming. And it didn't work. Bangity, bangity, bangity. The louder he talked, it didn't matter. So when the man got close, he stabbed, he stabbed, he stabbed, he stabbed. Nothing. It did not work. And the man walks right into him, runs over him, and steps across him. And as he's on the ground with his broom in his hand, he hears the man say, Tankity, 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 tankity. <laughs> I love the story. I, I, I think I stole it from David Brenner, who's told it on his Tonight Show in the 70s sometimes. Do you know anybody with a tankity tank attitude? When David the shepherd boy killed Goliath the giant, David had that tankity tank attitude. You remember what he said? He said, who is this Philistine that dares defy the army of the living God? David was a tank. I hope you had a great Easter. It's a wonderful time in the life of our church and any church. And today we're going to look at what happened to the early church right after the first Easter. Because that was a tankity-tank group of people. And hopefully we will learn from their example. Before we go further, let's pray together. Lord, it is so much about our attitudes because we know the truth. It's what we do with it. It's how we apply it. It's how we practice it. And so, Father, help us to be who you've created us to be every moment of every day. We pray that for our church in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you find the life of the early church, you go to the book of Acts. We start in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, 
Jesus. He appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before, the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they're not for you to know. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, here, through Judea, the region, Samaria, the state, to the end of the earth, everywhere. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. They could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. Someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Not Judas Iscariot. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. There's a wonderful lesson when we saw in verse 8, you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses to the whole world. Knowing that that was the task, that was the job that Jesus had them to do. And by the way, had they not done the job, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be a believer today. You can trace your lineage to this conversation. Really. Knowing the task before you, Look what the disciples Verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They prayed constantly. I love this. Jesus loved this. Just a few weeks earlier, at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tried to get the disciples to pray. And you remember what they did? Matthew tells the story in chapter 26. Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. He said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed and grieved with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther, bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he turned, went back to the disciples and found them 
asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you'll not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he returned to them again. He found them sleeping, not praying, as he had told them. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. You ever, I hope it's not now, but you ever at that point when you can't keep your eyes open? <laughs> if you're in the habit of praying at night only, you probably need to change your habit. We need to be awake, awake to pray. But after the garden, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, the disciples became prayer warriors constantly in prayer. Because of Easter, they changed forever. And so they're, they're meeting and they're praying. And I have wondered, what are they praying about? How's their prayer life different now? My first thought, I bet they prayed big prayers. I bet they prayed for the impossible. I bet they prayed for things that they had given up on previously. They prayed for the impossible because they'd seen the impossible happen. And we need to learn to pray for the impossible. I bet when they gathered, they prayed for the soldiers that pierced Jesus' side and the ones that drove the nails. I bet they prayed for Pilate. God, let him believe. I know they prayed for the Jewish people to believe, and I know that they prayed for the Gentile. I bet they prayed for any and every situation. For a moment, look at your life. Are you praying big prayers? Are you praying big prayers? Sometimes I'm afraid we probably bore God to death with our prayers. Some people's lives consist of asking God to bless their food, and that's it, period. They pray to God three times a day, bless the food, and God's in heaven going, oh, it's not going to kill you. Go ahead and eat. <laughs> Don't you have anything else to say to me? Or they might get the car and go on vacation. God bless our trip. You're going to get there. You're going to get it. It's fine. Or they might say, God bless our kids. We can so easily fall into a rut in our prayer lines. If you only remember one thing today, get out of the rut and pray big prayers. Impossible prayers. I love the way our church looked last Sunday. When Helen came for the organ and sat next to me, she said, it looks a little different back there than it did last week, doesn't it? She's right. It was full last week. That should be one of our prayers. That God brings people in. Not just at Easter, but every day. You need to get into the habit of doing that if you're not already. Imagine how different this world would be if every church lived like it was Easter Sunday every Sunday morning. It'd be a different world. So the early church prayed big prayers. They prayed for any and everything.
As I thought more about their prayers, I bet also they prayed with thanksgiving. I bet they were thankful, and we need to be more thankful. The early church saw Christ nailed to the cross with their very eyes. They, they saw the sin that paid. They saw the greatest example of love ever witnessed. And they had to be thankful. And we should be as well. We live in an ungrateful world. But we can change the way we are thankful. And we need to be thankful always in our prayers. Because the early Christians saw the cross and knew that Jesus died for their sins, I bet their prayer lights also contained confession. I bet they confessed of their sins. The Apostle John was with this group. Look what he wrote later in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we're lying to say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, if God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us all from, from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our heart. We can be so fast to confess the sins of others, can't we? But we're told to unload our own, to confess our own. When we confess, we're less likely to repeat. Try to see what happens. The early church did that. I also think that they prayed specific prayers. They prayed, Lord, let Thaddeus become a believer. Lord, let me have opportunity to... I just made up a name, Thaddeus. Lord, let me have opportunity to tell Thaddeus about you. They were focused and they named names. But today, we very often pray with a shotgun approach. Do you know the shotgun approach to prayer? God bless my family, amen. You ever done that? Oh, I've done that. God bless my church. Amen. God bless my nation. Amen. That's shotgun praying. And we're, when we're done, God's going, what do you really want me to do to them? Which members of your family? How do you want me to bless them? What is it that they need? And it's a lazy way to pray. And we have to get very specific. Fortunately, I heard this a long time ago, and some of the habits that I've gotten to are interesting. I'm praying now for my grandchildren who they're going to marry. Annabelle's one. She's not allowed to date yet. But the day's coming. Day after tomorrow. And I'm already praying for my grandchildren to become believers and to marry believers. I'm getting specific about that. And we should put the shotguns away and be focused. In our prayers. One of the ruts that I might get into and need to do a better job of is sometimes we need to be more spiritual in our prayers and have our prayer list more than just a sick list. 
And it's important that we pray for the sick. Scripture tells us to do that, and we're going to do that, and we do that on Wednesday nights, but shouldn't we be praying for our new neighbors that are coming all around Sandy Springs and God to draw them here? Shouldn't we be praying for revival? Shouldn't we be praying for missions? Shouldn't we be praying for opportunities? Expand your prayer life and see what happens. Whoever's been praying to rain, it worked, by the way. <laughs> so what do we learn? Pray constantly. Pray big. Pray for the impossible. Be thankful in your praying. Confess. Be specific in your prayer. And pay for spiritual as much as you do physical. The early church exploded. And they exploded because they were constantly in prayer. And the Holy Spirit came and empowered them to do the same thing the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. Let's pray.